Blog Talk Radio. Kingway fucks beer, lockers acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hard. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex that, Q has had enough of that, Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It's Thursday night. It's 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. That means we are live. We'll be live for the next two hours. You can give us a call at 646-668-2433 to join in the conversation. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. We're going to have joining us very shortly, Dorothy Bulak Erickson, and she's a specialty costume key person. What exactly is that? Well, we're going to ask her, but her resume is impressive. Uh, She's worked on Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Into Darkness, just to name a few, and a whole slew of others, and we're going to talk to her a little bit later. So you guys want to definitely stick around for that, but that's not all. We're also going to talk about Star Trek Picard 2 of 1, which was last week's episode. And we're going to give our fan scores and compare that to what we thought. So you guys definitely don't want to miss that. You want to hang out. We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, We have 107,857 downloads of the podcast as of right now. So thank you so much. And before we go too far, I want to go around the room and introduce my co-host. We'll start off with Eric. Eric is out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, man, I am doing great. Uh, we're having just a nice little spring day here, you know, about 45 degrees and some light rain here and there. Although I have seen a hail six separate times in the last two days, so I'm not sure what that's all about. But uh, excited to talk to Dorothy tonight. Excited to talk about some Picard. Well, you want, you, you want to hear something that was incredible today, Eric? Today yeah. here up in Vermont, it was 67 degrees and sunny. And I work in downtown Rutland in the state office building. So at lunchtime, I walked out the front door and I walked around the block and I went into the record store and I looked at some records and I went to the sandwich shop. There was people on the streets conversing and I and I visited with some people, and, and it, was, it was like normal life again, and I actually felt like alive and, and vibrant, and it was a great day, and of course, to top it all off with Trek talking. So That sounds great day. strangely enjoyable, Jim. I'm so happy you got to experience that today. It just, just talking to people, you know, and talking <laughs> amongst a people. Years ago when we used to Are you that, allowed yeah. to do that, Jim? <laughs> yeah, I was just, wow, it was... That was incredible. Um, we you also better have check the fine prints of your restraining order. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we also have with us Charles. Charles is on Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. We're still enjoying our roller coaster here in Vegas. I actually hit a whole 77 today. 
<laughs> Yesterday we got we only got to sixty eight. But Monday we got a huge windstorm. So we went from nineties on Saturday down to seventies and sixties fifties. Wow. So it's a roller coaster of weather. And uh, we also have with us uh, our latest addition to our ever-growing Trek-talking family. Uh, we have with us Paul. Paul's also out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Paul? People of Earth, I am well. Thank you, Uncle You Jim. are well. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an exciting day, and I'm excited to talk about last week's episode, but that's, you know, even more so. Dorothy is here, which is just the most exciting thing practically like ever imaginable. I know. And Isn't that awesome? She's even copped to having a, a cocktail in front of her, so maybe we can get her to forget her NDA. I don't know if we're really <laughs> well, tenacious. We'll have, to, we'll have to see what happens. See what yeah. happens. Uh, Uncle Jim's yeah. talking to people. He's very persuasive, so I don't know. We'll I'm just excited to watch the sparks fly, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Hey guys, you can go head over to our Facebook page at Truck Talking and Beyond. Spell it all out. And at the top of the page, you will see the Live Long and Prosper. And all you need to do is go there and drop us a little line and tell us where you're listening from. Each and every week, yours truly, Uncle Jim, picks 15 of our lucky listeners. If you see a heart next to your name, that means your name is going to be featured on a future fan shout-out like these lucky listeners that we're about to talk about. Eric. Get us started with our fan shout-outs, if you will. Uh, you better believe it, Jim. Our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to Gabby Krautvest from the Netherlands. We get lots of support from the Netherlands, so thank you, Gabby, for listening to us all the way from that totally awesome country. We're also saying hello this week to Nadia Escha from Colleyville, Texas, right here in the U.S. of A. So thank you, Nadia, for listening to us down there uh, in Texas, uh, I didn't have a chance to look up Colleyville, but uh, now, I'm, now I'm curious. I'm going to look that up. Uh, we're also saying hello this week to Juan Carlos Angeles. Greetings from Mexico City in the Mexican Republic, he says. So hello, Juan, and thank you so much for listening to us as well. This week, we're also shouting out Marianito Pujico Rivera from Lima, Peru, you know, it's interesting. I first became aware of some of the awesome architecture in that country in the late 80s. They have some uh, really cool architecture when the, the things were changing in that country around that time. Uh, so as an architect, I'm very interested in what's going on there. So Marianito, thank you for listening to us. And my final fan shout out this week goes out to Matthew Markovich, originally from Akron, Ohio, now residing in Pulley of Washington, holy smokes, that's right here, you guys. That's uh, just a hop, skip, and a jump across the border from Portland, uh, where both Paul and I hail from. So, Matthew, great Northwest brother, love you, man. Thank you for listening. Charles, who would you like to say hello to this week? Well, let's start off with top fan, Bill, I guess, Bill Senior, Gradier from Adam Kent. Ontario. That's an interesting city name. Hello, Canada. Sharon Harmon, trucker in Wilmington, North Carolina. Rochelle Stephen Barnes, enjoying life in Tracy, California. I'm not familiar with Tracy, California. I guess I'll have to look that one up. Berman Ebert 
from Germany. And Vanessa Laura Strando from West Chicago, Illinois. Not very far from Great Mistakes, Illinois. Or some people call it Great Lake, Illinois. <laughs> you understand the joke if you're military. Yep. Jim, what about you? Well, I don't have anybody from the great state of New York this week, but we do want to say hello and thank you to Benjamin Carter from Highlands of Scotland, which is awesome because that's where my grandfather hails from. We'd also like to say thank you to Sandra Johnston from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Thank you for listening, Sandra. Uh, We'd also like to say thank you and live long and prosper to Bob Cortex from San Antonio, Texas, another Texas person. And uh, we'd like to say kapla to N. Andrew Pinto from Northam, Vermont. I'm not familiar with where that is located. It must be up north, I would assume, since I'm now, down Jim, south. Now, but... Jim, around you, would you pronounce that Northam or would you say Northam? I would say in Northam. Boston, they would, you, yeah, in Boston, they would say Northam for sure. I would say Northam. Yeah. That's what I would say. But but I'm not from Vermont. I'm from New York, so I have that New York <laughs> thing going on. <laughs> Vermonters might say it differently. Yeah. Um, and last but definitely not least, we want to say thank you and live long and prosper to Don Lee Barr from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. We couldn't do the show without your support. Like I said, head over to our Facebook page and uh, tell us where you're listening from, and you'll hear your name on a future fan shout-out. Like I said, we've got a great show planned for you guys. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. And coming up next, right after this commercial break, we have Dorothy Bulak Erickson, a specially costumed key person who worked on Star Trek Picard. And we're going to talk about the Borg Queen and all kinds of great stuff. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back, and before I introduce Dorothy, I have to take a very deep breath because I'm going to share with you some of her awesome credits, so get ready. We already mentioned Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Into Darkness, but we also have, here we go, we have Loki the series, Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Avengers Infinity War, Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, Captain America Civil War, Batman vs. Superman, Hunger Games, Mockingjay, Part 1 and Part 2, Hunger Games, Catching Fire, Ant-Man, Avengers, Age of of Ultron, Interstellar, Captain America, Winter Soldier, The Dark Knight Rises, Tron, Legacy, Land of the Lost, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Spider-Man 2 and 3, Weird Al Yankovic, The Ultimate Video Collection, The Scorpion King, Planet of the Apes 2001, Godzilla, The Muppet Show, (laughs) Alien 3, The Lawnmower Man, Batman Forever, and Batman Returns and Pirates of the Caribbean. <sighs> okay. Woo, get that man some oxygen. So, so there you have it. Red, buddy. I was like, so, what? Yeah. So uh, th- those those are some of Dorothy's <laughs> awesome credits, and I know you guys have probably seen every single one of those 
at least two or three times. So without any further ado, I would like to introduce Dorothy Bulak Erickson. Welcome to the show, Dorothy. <laughs> Thank you for having me. When you put it that way, it's like, wow, what a retrospective. I, I can't believe I worked on that. It's like it's like it's like a, a geeky nerd's fantasy right here. I mean, every movie that we obsess with and discuss and dissect, you were a part of. That's just <laughs> everything. Like you're made for this podcast. <laughs> so before we get started, Dorothy, what exactly is a specialty costume key person? What what exactly does that entail? You know, I get this every time because when I tell people what I worked on, they always say, oh, are you the designer? And I have to, I, you know, I'm usually cocktail in hand saying, okay, do I explain it here or do I just nod my head and take an hors d'oeuvre and, and just keep going? But I love that you guys are here because I can actually talk about the brass tacks of what we do because people usually just think it's the designer, then that's it because usually that's the only person that gets credit. So I am here to tell you what a specialty customer is. So a specialty customer, I am in the motion picture costume union. And uh, what we do is we create the superheroes, the creatures, spacesuits, really, it's actually really any costume that has any kind of special treatment to it. So that can be from a ball gown to, you know, trousers. And it just, if it requires some kind of extra special something, something, and um, that the normal, usual custom-made person, customer would maybe be a little more tentative to work on. So I use a myriad of techniques materials, substrates to do my job. And I have to say that no two of us specialty customers are alike in our skill sets. I mean, you can kind of say that a specialty people, we're, we all have our specialties. So um, some of us are good with dyeing, um, textile painting, screen printing, leather work, gluing techniques. I'm, I'm gluing all the live long day with all kinds of glues and um, working with metals, uh, mold making, sculpting, sheet foam construction. And I know a lot of cosplayers use um, sheet foam and 3D printing, really kind of any kind of thing that's, and, and also we sew too. It's really kind of special fabric manipulation that we do. So Wow, that's quite impressive. Yeah. And encompassing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That My strengths are that I used to be a fashion designer, so the costume designers kind of like my eye, if you will, um, to try to figure out how to approach a costume. So I'm also a pattern maker, and I've worked in a lot of the special effects makeup houses, so um, I know how that process works. And I've also made many walk-arounds, um, you know, those are those things you see at the amusement parks, and that requires a special kind of costuming. So I also come to a job, and I have a huge library of samples that I have slowly through the years have made um, because, let's say, we'll start on a costume, and they'll say, okay, we want to do this for this scene. What can you come up with with 
different techniques to do this uh, interest right here. And so I'll do about 15 and, you know, it's kind of like spaghetti and you throw one on the wall and one of the noodles will finally stick in and that's what you're going to use. But then those, you know, a lot of the other customers would maybe throw the rest of them away and I just kept them. And so now I have this huge library that now the designers can come and peruse and pick and choose what they want to want to do, or at least, you know, start the conversation of where the design should go. So you can see that it's, it's not just the costume designer. You can kind of think of the costume designer as the um, kind of the, the department was the ship and the designer steers the ship, but it takes, many of the crew members to make it work. And that's why I love Star Trek because it's all about, you know, the starships are organized like a Navy. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I just wrapped the card and I recall having to give 35 wrap gifts out to the costume department. So there's many, many hands on deck, if you will. So Dorothy, uh, we're going to definitely talk about Star Trek right off the bat. So um, were you a Star Trek fan before you land the Star Trek card gig? For sure. I mean, that that was, yes. In fact, I was given the um, opportunity to work on the latest Spider-Man, but I picked Star Trek. (laughs) That because I'm a big Star Trek nerd. And also I had done done season one, so I wanted to – see it through. I wanted to do two and three as well. Wow. So let, let's talk. Can can you talk about the Borg Queen at all? I know that's how I found oh. you on Facebook. We were talking, I was I was on a thread and we were talking about the Borg Queen's awesome outfit and you joined in the conversation. That's how I found you. So I'm assuming oh. that talking about the Borg Queen is safe, right? It is safe. Because we, t- it is safe. we talked about it on on Facebook, so it's got to be a safe topic. Yes. As soon okay, as so I, yeah. Let's use the Borg Queen as an example then. So um, okay. the producers, the directors, uh, the designer comes to you and they say, we have this character, this new character that's based on a previous character, and she's the Borg Queen. And mm-hmm. where, what would, how would you jump into that? How do you go? And what would, yeah. Yeah, what would you, where would you take it from there? Well, the Borg Queen, of course, is it's really daunting because, of course, all the fans have their idea of how it should go. It's, there's been many iterations already, so everybody's very opinionated. So that's, that's already like, ah. But I knew because I was a fan, I wanted to do the best job I could. And I am working under our designer, Christine Beeslin-Clark, who did the first season as well. And she really wanted to make sure this was more of a costume and not a rubber suit, you know, a special effects makeup suit. So we had to work very closely with Neville Page, who you know from Face Off, you know, the judge from Face Off, and he's done a million things. He designed the Borg Queen makeup. So we know we have to integrate with Neville Page's design of the face, and the, the, the neck part. And then we have to um, work with uh, Vincent Van Dyke effects, who is wonderful. Vincent Van Dyke is just this fantastic guy. who they, He is then sculpting it and outputting it and actually creating it. 
But this was really a challenge because this was right during COVID. Um, I was supposed to start right in March of 2020, and then the lockdown happened. So production just shut down. And I think we didn't start up again until September. So we had all these precautions. Uh, you know, we couldn't, I think we only met with, I, I think we ne- I never met Neville the whole time during we were working on the board queen. We just had to communicate via, you know, the usual electronic ways. And then I only saw, went to Vincent Van Dyke's uh, shop just once. It was just such a frustrating thing to have all these protocols because that was way back when we didn't have a vaccine. So that was a challenge. But at least we had three months to coordinate and to R&D. And what I love about working for Christine, our designer, is she really kind of let me just experiment and just kind of let me go and riff off ideas. And my thing is to kind of play with techniques and see what she would like. And, it, and then that steers the design. She likes this. She likes that. She works then with our um, concept illustrator, Mario Cecilo, who then draws it up. And so I think most people think that it's a very linear thing where the designer makes it, then gives it to the pattern maker, then, you know, and then it goes all the way down the line. But really, it's a lot of a back and forth type of thing where everybody's collaborating. That's probably the number one word for my career is collaboration. So it's a very much a back and forth. Well, I got to tell you, the board queen looks spectacular um, on the card. Absolutely just stunning, I think. So that's great. What? What was your favorite part about working on Star Trek so far? What was the one costume that you that you worked on that gave you the best, the biggest challenge, and you were the proudest? Oh, of? The, you know, the Borg Queen was great um, for sure, and we had to make many of those. And of course, you know, you first see her and she's cut in half, so that was also a challenge to figure out. Okay, where do we cut her in the waist? You know, and how do we we kind of put a lid on her on the bottom? And if you go in my Instagram page, you can see a picture of what it looks like underneath. Uh, she has an undercarriage, per se. Um, uh, Neville Page did this great um, design for that. But I would have to say in season one, um, <laughs> Christine came to me and she said, Dorothy, we have a new villain. Her name is Bejazel, and you're going to love her. Oh, and yeah. I think, what? And she she brought me all these these mood boards of wonderful aquatic spiny references, and I just took off. And and Christine likes to lovingly call her her evil space ballerina, because she it's very <laughs> delicate and glamorous. But she's just really she's just a bad girl. She's just not so great. But I was able to employ all these different techniques. I kind of threw everything at it so if you look at it there's like just a million little details on it but I just loved it and then I actually used that that as inspiration for a uh, a shawl I'm, I'm starting to do a line of knitting I, I sell my knitting patterns I don't sell the 
the the actual knitted items. I let other people do that, <laughs> but I I come up with the patterns and I based one off of the Jaisal because she was so inspirational. And she she looked great on the show, by the way. Absolutely oh yeah. Great. So uh, you also worked on Thanks. Star Trek Into Darkness. I noticed on your page. I did. What it, yeah, so what 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 exactly did you work on on, on that particular movie? Since that well, movie's old, I'm I'm sure we can talk about that one. Oh, <laughs> uh, we can talk all the live long day about that one. <laughs> well, I um, one morning I got this call and I they were asking to hire me to work in the specialty department for the show, uh, but they thought my rate was too expensive, so they couldn't hire me, and so. Uh, you know, I was really sad about it because all my specialty friends were going to be there. You know, when you have a show that big, you're going to have a huge just specialty department. But then that same afternoon, I got a call from my friend Russ Schenkel, who owns uh, a special makeup effects shop called Film Illusions. And she and he said, uh, well, we're making a special costume. I want you to key it. It's, it's for Spock because it, he goes into the volcano and that's, and they want to make it copper. And I thought, well, okay, so isn't copper super heat conductive? But okay, whatever, you know, that's the magic <laughs> of movies. <laughs> and, I love that. Uh, You're like, like, wait, the, the physics doesn't yeah. work out there. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm getting my physics head into that. No, put it, put it, lock it up again. It's all about making them look good. So here I was. I was sad in the morning and I was elated in the afternoon. So that volcano suit, oh. It was, we took fabric and leather and we screen printed it with this very dimensional screen printing technique and we quilted it around cords and then we removed the cords so that we could make it lighter weight. And there was this lovely man, Scott Ramirez, who sculpted the helmet and all the tiles, which looks squarish. Each one looks the same, but they're not. Every one is a little bit different from the neighboring tiles. So we had them all numbered. It was kind of like when you're playing Battleship and it's like A16, you know. <laughs> so, so then each tile is literally glued and screwed onto the leather and it's this beautiful Italian leather and it's just a beautiful costume and it's, it's heavy as heck. But Zachary Quinto was just a trooper. And, and another interesting thing was I asked my, or my boss told me about this is, just the tiles, copper, was $26,000. But, you wow. know, it's Spock. He's worth it. That's true. <laughs> He's Spock. <laughs> wow. Wow. And so, so I, have another, I have another story about that because, you know, I had, to, I had to go on the Sony lot for one of the Zachary Quinto uh, fittings at the costume shop that they had set up there. And um, I see all my specialty friends at and what they're working on, and oh my God, it's it's all so fabulous. They're, they were um, setting up for a huge dog and pony for these costumes. They were all for these indigenous tribal wear to show J.J. Abrams for a scene at the beginning of the movie. And oh my God, these costumes were so creative, so super colorful. And then I got a little sad again because I thought, oh man, I would have that would have been so much fun to work on those. But, you know, I did my fitting, and it went great, and I went back to Film Illusion Shop, and, and later in the afternoon, my boss comes up to me, and she, he says, you know those great costumes you saw at the Dog and Pony show? 
And um, I said, yeah. And he said, they're scrapping all of those beautiful costumes for the Native people. And I thought, what? Why? And it was because no one bothered to check the set was designed to be super colorful, too. And they would have been completely lost in it. They would have just, you know, disappeared into the scenery. So I was heartbroken for my friends. But then I wasn't sad anymore that I, I, I was very grateful. I was still working on Fox. And so they had to make uh, all new costumes, which they changed them all into drapey white um, fabric, which they did a great job. But I told my boss, thank you for hiring me because I'm not so hot about making glorified white um, drapey diapers. <laughs> so, Dorothy, when you design, like, for instance, uh, Spock's costume, uh, how does it feel when you actually, the, when you see it in the theater, completed with all the special effects and the whole thing assembled, how does it feel to know that you actually had a part in making that a reality? It's it's pretty amazing. I, I don't know how else to say it. It's kind of like, you know, you, especially because there's a lot of long nights, a lot, you know, a lot of hours to make these things. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like having a dessert, you know, and it's great. But then it's over and then you just got to find the next, <laughs> the next thing. So it's just, you realize that it's, um, you have to ask yourself, are you doing it for the notoriety or if are you doing it for the creative day-to-day of it? And I definitely do it for the creative day-to-day of it. But uh, but it's it's nice when you get credit. And can can you watch these movies and enjoy them? Or, or do you sit there and say, oh, wow, they put that seam in the wrong place or I would have done this with a different fabric? Or can you just sit back it's and tough. enjoy them? It's tough. <laughs> it's some, it, it depends. It's tough. Like that will, that will take me out of it if I see something jarring. You know, my, my husband was the prop master, is a prop master. He just retired at January 1st, and he worked on Buffy. And that's why I worked on the tiny little things for Buffy. But the thing that throws him out is like, oh, look, do you see those ice cubes? Look at those ice cubes are, are on the bottom of the glass. They're not floating. There's not, they're not real ice cubes. I mean, so, oh, you see those bubbles? They wouldn't have bubbles in that wine or, you know, something like that. We all have our, our things that just drive us crazy. So sometimes I have to watch it, things twice. Wow. Well, uh, we, we have a caller on the line here. Let me see if I can get my board to function here. Come on, there we go. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello? Caller? Hello? Aw. Also alarm. I guess. Hello? <laughs> Caller? Hello? 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 Bueller? Bueller? Can you hear me? I have another... Yes, I'll have we can hear you. My gin and tonic, then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we hear you. Hey, Hello. David's calling from Portland. Uh, hey, oh David. Hey, David. David. David, do you have a question for Dorothy? Uh, not at the moment, no. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> that's cool. I will. Uh, I, I've I've asked I've asked my uh, my Star Trek questions, so I will turn you over to Eric. Eric, shoot. 
Oh my gosh, Dorothy, I have about 100 things I want to talk to you about, but I have to save time for like other stuff. So first of all, okay. let me, let me just say, um, big fan of the bejazel costume. Uh, love it. Love how it's like, I am in total command of my situation, but, um, but I'm like beautiful and flowy and like, you better pay attention to me. So, um, I just wanted to, first of all, start our conversation by saying I'm a big fan of that costume. Yeah. She was a lovely uh, actress, too. She was game for anything. So that was great. Well, it fits her well, and she plays it it very well. So, so, yeah, I have a few questions for you. The first one is really, uh, you know, I can imagine that it takes a long time uh, in this industry as you're sort of coming up through the ranks and whatnot to actually – get recognized uh, in some way for what you're doing. And what I mean by that is specifically um, your name showing up in the credits in a movie. And so Mm -hmm. what I was wondering was what was the first time that your name uh, showed up in the credits and, and what was that like for you to have that happen? Oh, well, it was actually an interesting thing because I was actually designing, um, was a fashion designer, um, and my friend said, hey, do you want to, do you want to uh, help me out on a, a, a low-budget, post-apocalyptic movie? And I, because I was really done with designing. I mean, Project Runway makes it seem like it's fabulous, but it's the day-to-day of it is just kind of soul-killing. So I said, okay, I'll help you with your post-apocalyptic movie. But a long story short, my friend left the show three weeks before we were shooting to work on some Michael Jackson video. So I was left holding the bag to be the designer, the supervisor, the on-set costumer, and the custom-made, meaning, you know, how to make the costumes. And then I just reminded myself the other day that I had to drive the costume truck, too. So I guess I was a teamster. So uh, the very first movie I ever worked on was the one that I got credit for as a costume designer. But, and that was, but I, that I had to work very, very, very hard to get that, get that credit. But also that made me realize I didn't want to be the designer because for one thing, they have to go through so many um, meetings, 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 and you practically need um uh, a degree in psychology to deal with all those egos oh, from yeah. the director to the actor. So I'm happy to be what I am. And sometimes I get credit for it. For instance, in card, there's, like I said, there are 35 people in the wardrobe department, but only three people I think get credit. So when you get it, it's great. But if you don't, whatever. <laughs> hmm yeah, well, that's good. I mean, that means that you're actually doing something that uh, brings you real joy. That uh, you know? it, it's my passion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, well, I was kind of you know poking around on the internet, uh, learning more about you and whatnot, and uh, we actually have some crossovers. So both Charles and I on the podcast <laughs> here are knitters, and so I came across Get your out of town. yeah. <laughs> so oh my I God, came across I'm so your. Excited. Yes, I came across your Ravelry account, and I have to tell you, there's some crazy stuff here. Like, this stuff is, like, it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, can Thank you just you. T- kind of tell me more about uh, your knitting passion and just, uh, you know, kind of where you're headed with it and stuff? 
You know, and that all happened because of the lockdown where all the shows got shut down and I was going to wait till I retired, but I thought, well, this is the time. I, you know, I'm twiddling my thumbs. I, I can't do anything as far as a costume. And, you know, when you're a creative person, you don't just turn it off. You have to just keep making stuff. So I thought, okay, I, it's the, it's time. And so I thought, you know, as you know, as knitters, there's a million patterns out there, a million. And I thought, mm-hmm. how, I don't want that. I want to have a knitting pattern that is unique, and then I'm going to base it off of the the things that I work on as inspiration. So I am going to make things that are off the beaten track and different. So that's my approach. And I only have five five patterns right now but right now I'm working on one that I'm calling calling I'm Batman so it's based on you know <laughs> well I'll just like to, to to just clue people who are listening in uh, the five patterns that Dorothy has right now are Saturn Hex Star Lord Bejazel Yandu's Arrow Shawl and Graviton Fade, and they all are, like, really complex and have amazing texture to them, amazing color variation. Um, they look really good hanging on your little, like, fake model there <laughs> on your Ravelry page. So, uh, well done. I think that they they may be a little too advanced for me. I'm not sure, but uh, who knows? Maybe I'll give them a go. We'll see. We'll see. You know, well, that just, that made me realize, oh, I should do a more simplistic, you know, some some easy ones, too. If you want to hit both ends of the spectrum, I will be your guy. I will I will purchase okay. some patterns that are on that other end of the spectrum just a little bit. Uh, but I just these are stunning, so I wanted to definitely make sure and mention those. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I want to keep this train moving, but uh, let me just uh, okay. cover two more things. So one is I would love to know more about what it was like to design a costume for a virtual creature like Baby Groot. <gasps> Oh, that was so much fun. Um, it's, uh, Guardians was really tough because everybody needed a costume fabricated. And so we were already doing extremely long days, 12-hour days, working Saturday. Um, and we were, my team was in charge of the Star-Lord, Drax, and Nebula, but they said, the designer, Juliana Makovsky, said, okay, Dorothy, you're just going to do Baby Groot on your own because he's small. And and the reason why Baby Groot needs a costume, because I think people know that he is a CGI character. However, we still have to make, he still has to be sculpted. He has to be um, put, output, and he has to have a costume because, and I had to make two of them, one um, was a puppet that was used on set so that the actors could act against and relate to. And then the other one went to the visual effects department and they took my patterns and the fabrics and the notions and then they scanned, scanned that in to the computer so that they can re- reimagine it into the costume. So, even if you see a movie like Avatar, those things had to be had to be sculpted and made a three dimensional thing. And I know people who have made costumes for those characters. So I think, you know, a lot of people don't know that. So they actually physically scan a model, and then that 
becomes the thing that becomes the virtual costume for the character? Yes, they actually take my pattern. So it's a flat pattern, kind of like when you go to the fabric store or Joanne's and you buy a pattern. So you scan those in and then the computer reimagines it, you know, three-dimensionally. So it's kind of like it sews it up together. Okay, and it figures out the gravity of how it's supposed to move and all of that kind of right. stuff. That's really that's right. really super cool. Um, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> um, well, uh, before I pass the torch, I just have to hit uh, one of my favorite franchises. Um, I'm a big Buffy fan. Uh, I was I've oh. always been a big Buffy fan. I saw the first run. I've seen it a couple times afterward. Um, so tell me. I know you worked on a few Buffy episodes. Tell me what it was like uh, to work on that show. Well, I actually did not work in the costume department. And like I said before, it was because my husband was the prop master. So every once in a while, he would come home and say, oh, I just read this script. Like he, he said, I just read this script. And it's um, apparently Giles wakes up and he's a demon so uh, the, our designer was wondering if you knew how to make cloven hooves. <laughs> and the funny thing was I had just had to do that for some lawyer show where the lawyer had a dream sequence and he became a satyr or something like that. So I had to make, I had to make um, Giles some cloven hooves. And if anybody has to do this, what you do is you go to the the – the shoe store and get the highest stiletto heel shoes you can find. <laughs> and then you, and then you cut off the stiletto heel. And then if you're a cosplayer, you're probably savvy with EVA foam or L200 and you cover it up with, with the foam. And then you, you know, cut out the, make it look like wood or, or, or you know, a hoof. And then you put some fur on it and voila. And the funny thing was when the show was over and uh, they were selling off the goods and these things were going for incredible prices. I think the, uh, the cloven hooves sold for $26,000, something like that. Uh, and I thought, oh, my God, I should have charged them more money for those. Wait a second. Yeah. And then there was another another episode where – my husband came home and said, hey, you know, she, Buffy um, drops out of college and she has to work for the Double Meat Palace or something like that. And can you make some ball caps that have a, a goofy uh, cow on it? <laughs> so I had to make a couple of those. And, you know, it's always, and it's always wacky stuff. My husband was going to the the Psychic Eye, which used to be this store that sold herbs and, and crystal balls and things like that. He was going there all the time. Oh, I got to get Willow another broom. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a, a fun little side gig then. Uh, yeah. yeah. And not a, a little bit like Saru, I guess. You know, Saru's got those awesome, like, shoe hoof boot things that he wears, oh, too. Oh, true. So That's maybe right. you were, like, prototyping yeah. that kind of thing. Who knows? That's right. <laughs> well, I'm going to pass the torch here, but it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Charles, would you like to engage Dorothy on some questions here? Okay, definitely. Well, Dorothy, uh, Derek's more of a early beginner. I'm an advanced knitter. I do do shawls. 
I love Ooh. some of your designs. I've already got you saved. I'm going to look at the patterns later when i got time to look at them. I see some <laughs> designs fantastic. that I might grab. <laughs> That's well, great. I, I am. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking about um, last night in the middle of the night, I had this idea of making a Spock volcano suit uh, scarf. So, you know, I, I'm always cooking up ideas. Uh, I'm going to keep an eye on your page. Might have to send <laughs> you on Ravelry. <laughs> before, I get, before I get into other TV shows, Eric and I were debating on this. I'd be curious what you did in a couple of our favorite Picard episodes that you probably could talk about. And that's oh, Absolute sure. Candor, sure. Candor and the Pensee. What'd you do on those two episodes? On, on which ones? Absolute Candor and the Pensee. From season one. Uh, season, season one, one. okay. Oh, absolute I can't candor remember. and I... the Pensei. Yeah, these are the ones. Uh, absolute candor being the one, uh, I believe, where they introduced the Elnor for the first time, and then Elnor. and then the Pensei being the one where they meet up with the Riker Troy family uh, on the planet. There. All right. Oh, okay. So um, that, like, for instance, the Nepenthes, that one was where uh, this may I work. For years, I was working um, with hand-in-hand hand with this amazing pattern maker, Marilyn Madsen. And she would pattern the main thing, of uh, the main costume. But then she'd say, oh, uh, this is a Dorothy area. <laughs> so she would, and, and that's like all throughout Gardens of the Galaxy. She'd, her patterns would say, Dorothy area, Dorothy area, you know, where I had to come up with something. So for that, um, for one thing, Riker, um, which I, first I should tell you that, and I'll tell you about it later. I'm the number one fan of the uh, the uh, Jonathan Frakes fan club, but I'll tell you all about that later. <laughs> but they, <laughs> I love that. Who man. isn't? Oh my god! Uh, but he was wearing. We called it the pizza outfit because he was wearing this linen shirt and some and an apron and so Marilyn did a great job but again she said oh can you this is a Dorothy area right here can you do something for the sleeve and the fit so I kind of zhuzhed it up a little bit with some fabric manipulation and then I just all I did on his apron was put a little slot hardware on it but I think that was the episode two where they they talked about the backstory of where he they had a, a son so I have to make the cutest little Starfleet baby costume. It was so cute. I did. I was just like, oh, my God, this is so damn cute. But the, it ended up they got a baby that was much smaller. So the poor baby was just swimming in it. So I was a little upset about that. But it was just so adorable. You know, a little onesie, a little Starfleet onesie. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, but well, um, okay. as, as other other things in in um, season one because I know I I worked on um, Dodge or Soji. You know the the yeah. green tunic that she did. That was one of mine, and I did um, Commander O the uh, 
the, it was kind of almost Japanese Romulan looking. And the Romulans, I was in charge of all the the background Romulans, and that was so much fun because oh. uh, our designer, Christine, just said, just go for it. She said, you know what, you have to think about it. They're like the, the Alexander McQueens of space. So I just said, got it. <laughs> and I just ran with that one. It was so much fun. And I was using zip ties for for design features for oh it was just it was crazy it was crazy fun oh sounds like it but i was going through your list of stuff you've done and one of them that caught my attention rather quickly was muppets tonight what was it like to work around muppets oh my god that i think hands down that was my favorite job um you know, it was it was crazy. I always say I had no life then because they came out on a script on Monday, so you started working on it. By Tuesday, they had cut that whatever scene you were working on that costume, but they had a new scene, so you had to make a new costume. And then by Wednesday, you were shooting it. Monday, I'm mean, sorry, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, at, but they were so wonderful because, you know, because they're puppets, they don't complain, and so you could stick pins in them, and they won't complain. And the the um, the actors were on their best behavior because they they really only worked one day, so they loved the Muppets too. So everybody, it was a happy, happy, joy, joy thing. And there were things I don't know if you heard me in an interview once. I I said that they they did. Um, Day, day, what's it? Bay of Pigs Watch. Bay of Pigs Watch. So they had to, oh. I had to do this voluptuous bathing suit for Spamela Hamderson. <laughs> and then, oh. and then there was there was another moment where um, the designer Polly Polly Smith said, "Okay, tomorrow they're going to do pigs in space. We don't know who it's going to be, but you're going to have to make this huge science fiction." cape that has a huge collar and shoulder and okay it's either going to be Carrie Fisher, Claudia Schiffer or Miss Piggy but you just got to go for it because it shoots tomorrow and, and I had to figure out well how do I make it fit all those people well okay and but it was it was a joy it was a total fun and um, I'll, I'll never forget it Oh, sounds like, sounds like a blast. And then I looked to your list as one of that just caught my attention. That's probably the stranger one on your list. Was the Weird Al Yankovic video collection. <laughs> okay. So what I did for that was, this is a pretty early in my career, so I was working under this great um, person, Kamala Henneman, but it was for his I'm fat video. So -hmm. that was my very first fat suit. So um, that was amazing. And oh my gosh, he was the nicest, nicest man. Uh, I I remember his waist was, I think like 103 inches around, but he, he couldn't be, couldn't have been more nicer. And then Kamala let me pattern and make the, the, the Michael Jackson-y type jacket that went for that. Oh, well, 
He's still uh, uh, in his main concert. Weird Al still comes on. No, really? He still that was that. Okay, watching his concert. He's doing an offshoot concert right now, but on his original album concert, you would get about two or three songs. And a five-minute, a two-minute break, a little video interlude as he changed costumes. And he had to go through a dozen costumes throughout the show. And the fat suit is one of his costumes. He still can't wear that thing. Wow. That (laughs) that 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 costume idea is still in use today. He has a, if you watch that video, and some of it's just kind of maybe politically incorrect now, but he just has such a great jiggle. You know, when you're making fat suits, you want to just make sure it has a little bit of a jiggle. Oh, I I love that video. I'll go back and (laughs) say, oh, where are they? I was like, oh, yeah, time to watch that. (laughs) Oh. Well, Paul. I'm sure you've got a couple of questions. I'll try to come out of my shell, Charles, if I can. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, how often do you get a chance to somebody talk to somebody who's worked with, you know, everybody from Thor to Michael Rooker to Kermit the Frog? I mean, that's quite a spectrum, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you, the things Dorothy must know and the things oh, she must I, have seen in costuming. Good I Lord. I have a picture I, uh, that nobody else has of Michael Rooker with, with little baby Groot tucked in his waistband because <laughs> we he came in for his fitting and i wasn't on the team that worked on it but they said oh guess what we have i win that we have the, the lady who's making baby groot's costume so i brought you know i get this i'm working on something bring in baby groot so i had the <laughs> rest of the fitting fitting room for that was fabulous. Well, you've it's, yeah, an incredible career, and I mean, we could like you know, Jim was saying we could get mired down and talking about all these individual. I mean, everything on here is something we could talk for an hour with you about. But I, I want to ask you something different. It's just like if you would just mm-hmm. climb into the the time machine with me here briefly. Um, I would mm-hmm. like to ask you. Um, to, to talk about some of the movies that you might remember seeing growing up as a child that maybe first captivated you with costumes? And was there, were there a couple that when you were young that just really made you go, wow, that's the mm. thing I need to be doing? Those kind of like, you know, older influences. I would love to hear the ones that you still think about like that. I, you know, I have to say it's, it, was, it was Star Wars and Star Trek because I would come home at the end of school and there was always uh there was always star trek on and of course there was no even then there wasn't really a video uh we didn't have even a vhs it was just whatever is on would be what you were watching and i lived for star trek and and then when star wars came out. I mean, I, I know you. if you looked at my picture, it doesn't look like it, but I turned 60 last year. So I, I remember when Star Wars came out, and I was 15, and when I turned 16, I was hell-bent on getting my driver's license. Um, <laughs> but not to go, like, you know, Corrado. It was so oh, – then I could drive myself to the theater to see Star Wars. That was my main thing that I wanted Autonomy. to do. Autonomy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Freedom. And I, 
I, I loved the simplicity of those costumes were so different from any other kind of spacey thing. Uh, having said that now, that trope of the Japanese kimono-like thing has now been copied a million, million times. But back then, it was very new and fresh. So I just like the clean lines of it. And, um, oh, God, you know, it, and my thing has always been, has always been fashion. So I know people probably think that, oh, I'm sure you want to work on something that's like Bridgerton or some uh, kind of period drama type thing. But I love watching them, but I don't particularly want, have an urge to work on things like that because it's, it's I can't, it just gets a little stilted for me to just, it's all about do it by the book, do it by the book instead of, well, let's take this and technique and turn it on its ear, you know, and do it differently. So that's, that's my thing that I like to do. So awesome. I have to say, it's Star Trek and Star Wars. You are dyed in the wool sci-fi person. I am, you are yeah. Cut from the really same cloth, did. if you will. Oh. <laughs> so can I get you to dish on someone else's costumes? I'd just love to hear what you think, too. Is uh, oh, sure. a, mo- a movie this year that I think that, uh, that had amazing costumes in it. I would think, I don't know, but what did you think of the costume work that was done in Dune? Yes. Uh, I I thought it was great. Uh, but I have a special place in my heart for the original one because that was Bob Ringwood. And mm. uh, that's, I've worked on many um, movies with Bob Ringwood. And I still think his still suits were just th- this amazing gold standard. Uh, and just all the, the interesting take, if you watch that movie, Oh, it's, we rewatched it the other day. It's like, oh, oh you know, <laughs> not so great. You know, when Linda Hunt is saying, and shout out, make signs a housekeeper. <laughs> and I think it's okay. I, wow, you know, okay, good for you. You're the housekeeper. But, but, <laughs> but I, we were still in awe of the production design and the costume design. So it's, it's, it's worth amazing. it for that. Yeah, totally. I, I, and, but having said that, I, I thought it was fun. I, I thought the the latest Dune stuff was fun. I, you know, the the thing is, it's just really, it's a tough spot to be remaking something that everybody has in their head what they think it should be. And I mean, we're going through that constantly with Star Trek. So uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing. All those preconceptions. Well, I did just yes. want to ask you one more question on here, Dorothy, is I, I am uh, always drawn to anything that's done by uh, Guillermo del Toro, big fan of, of, of his work. And I saw you were worked on Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, which just blew mm-hmm. my socks off when I saw that. And the question I had for you is, in, um, in that movie in particular, it seems like there's a lot of characters who aren't necessarily human characters that are running around wearing costumes. And right. how do you have to approach it if you're designing costumes for a character that, that doesn't have like human, normal human anatomy. Is that, right. does that, is right. that a nice thing and fun for you to do? Or does it like become like you know, a real pain? <laughs> it's, I, I do actually like doing it, but after a while I just, I do kind of like, Oh, I just want to make a pretty frock, you know? <laughs> and also it involves a lot of toxic chemicals. And that usually means I'm working at a special makeup effect shop. But, I mean, people don't realize that 
you still have to, let's say you're making a creature. The creature is um, sculpted. They life cast a person. And first of all, it used to be they would do molds on people, but now you just send them to the, the scanning company. They get computer scanned. They um, are, it's output in a very kind of uh, like, uh, like that kind of foam that you put flowers in, that kind of styrofoam. Uh, kind of thing, and then that gets sent to the special effects makeup company who kind of smooths it out, and they still have to do a negative of that mold. Then they do a positive of that mold for the life cast. So then it goes to the sculptor. The sculptor then sculpts in clay what the creature should look like. But then if you just had that piece that was then, then ultimately sculpted and outputted in, let's say, foam latex, if it was just foam latex, you'd pull it and it would probably rip. So you have to have a bodysuit that's constructed um, underneath so that the foam can hold on to it, grab onto it, so there's some flexibility but strength. So you've got to, you know, it's all that unglamorous stuff that has to be done where you're putting, you know, a bodysuit of some stretchy material we call the core sock. Um, I remember I was asked to make, oh, can you make um, like 40 pairs of uh, uh, glove core socks? And I said, Ugh, okay, I hate <laughs> making gloves. I still may hate making gloves, but I gave it to, I did it as a side project for my friend Kamala Henneman, who, again, was uh, the, doing the I'm Fat Weird Al Yankovic um, thing. And it turned out to be Michael Jackson, for Michael Jackson's thriller video is for all those zombies so all those zombie you know things have to have uh, fabric in it constructed so that it will have some integrity so it's it's it doesn't seem glamorous but it all has to be all has to be constructed right suddenly you're a mechanic in the midst of everything yeah it's just like wow yeah. incredible <laughs> Well, my friend, you are a treasure, and uh, it's just stunning to see uh, some of the work that you've done on here. It, it's just really amazing. So, and I, I heard you're you might be retiring, which is uh, sad for Hollywood, but, uh, but good for <laughs> I, you. Thanks. I, well, again, I'm going to be doing those knitting patterns, uh, you know, and and this this whole career thing's getting in the way. I got to get that out of here so that I can start, you know, full time knitting. Well, it's been a pleasure to, to talk to you, and uh, I'm, I'm going to pass you back to Uncle Jim. Okay, All great. right. Well, Dorothy, it has been a pleasure, a pleasure talking with you, and I just want to wrap up. I have one more question. Um, okay. And then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up. You've worked on so many great movies and done so much great stuff. Is there anybody that you haven't had a chance to work with that you always wanted to work with? Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I have to say, no, there is, that's why, I think that's why I need to retire. I think I've done everything. You know, there's, there's something like, I feel like I'm in gravy mode right now because after I did Spock, everything else is gravy. I mean, for, for being a fan, that's the be all end all. So, no. <laughs> I might be done. You're done. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> well, I just <laughs> I Unless just want to say Star Wars. Thank you. That might bring you back, right? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. That's true, maybe. 
<laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, Dorothy, I just I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us here on Trek Talking. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you so much for bringing all of our, our nerd dreams to life and, and making <laughs> such great costumes in these awesome movies. You know, like everybody said, we could talk about anyone of these movies and go on and on and on. Literally but, for hours. Yes. <laughs> thank you so yeah. much for, for making those a reality for us. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure, and I love talking to someone, all of you guys, that are just as much, like, in my wheelhouse of fandom as I am. So that's wonderful. And you know what? Good, I'll, I'll, when, uh, we'll have to have you back on once Star Trek Picard is over, and you can talk about everything. Oh, um, man. All, I, all I'm going to say is season three. I, yeah. oh. I am so, <laughs> I'm so relieved that they said that the legacy cast is coming back because it's so hard to not say anything. <laughs> I can't say anything, but I'm just so glad that's out. Wow. Well, on that note, let me ask you one more quick question. On that note, Jonathan yeah. Frakes, um, <gasps> oh. did, did you get a chance to be on set during any of his scenes while he was filming. And what is he, is he as awesome on set as he is at conventions? Oh my God. (laughs) Jonathan breaks. Okay. I, he is just so wonderful. I remember, first of all, you know, he is a director that has worked on, he, they do these things in blocks. So they do two, two episodes at a time. So he, he did his uh, he did his two two uh, shows, and so he was in and out. And he noticed that I was working on the Borg Queen, and he just he went by me and he said, "There ain't nothing like a Borg." And I went, "Nothing in the world." And if only you know, only a theater nerd would know that's from South Pacific. Yes, but it is. I was in that show. <laughs> and then, oh. I have to tell you the story, though, that uh, there was uh, – I, w- I had to go on set, and I was with my friend Ivory Stanton, who – he is another specialty customer who paints – he's the textile paint wizard, and he paints and does these incredible techniques on all the fabrics. And so uh, we were asked to come on set because a costume was being established, and it was – the costume was such a hit – that Frakes asked who made it, and he they pointed at me, and he walked all the way across the stage to shake oh, my hand, oh. and he said to me, "Well done." Oh. And I was pretty, I have to say, oh. I was pretty calm, but my inner nerd was just jumping up and down. And, so, <laughs> <laughs> and then meanwhile, meanwhile, the onset costumer saw that this was happening, and she's the only one allowed to take pictures on set. And she realized, oh, Dorothy would probably really want a picture of them mm-hmm. shaking my hand. Mm-hmm. So, so she booked it over to me. But as a result, she kind of plowed into Sir Patrick. <laughs> so the picture didn't happen. Oh. Then meanwhile, oh. meanwhile, at the same time, Ivory, the textile artist I was telling you about, he turned around and he elbowed Brent Spiner hard. I mean, I think he, Ivory heard Brent Spiner go, oof. <laughs> so the upshot of that is that, 
uh, we joke that I guess there's a reason why we're being made to be in the workroom and not on set because we're a hazard to the casting crew. But that <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite moment on, on this season. Oh wow. my gosh, I am so I cannot in my head now stop singing. There's nothing like a board. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Wow. Anyway, well, Dorothy, thanks, guys. Thank you so, so much for hanging oh, out and Trek talking. Thanks, with Dorothy. Us. It was great. <laughs> and when season three, when we all get to see season three, I'll I'll get in touch with you and we'll have you back and we can talk about freaks and all the secrets that you're dying to tell us that you can't. Phew. How does that sound? Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Thank you very much, Dorothy, and you have a great night. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys. We're not done yet, though. Don't worry. We've got a lot of Trek talking left, so don't touch the dial. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this. Put her in her angel suit. She will never fail. To lead her ship on future trips to save the spirit aid Saru was softly through and through, but I'm sure and true. The crew went all the way that day on a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. Time travel was very rough, and Burnham paid the cost. That day Saru saved the whole dawn crew, but Discovery was lost. Discovery was lost. They splashed the ship right down, you see, in the 32nd century, with Burnham and Mr. Saru. Oh, Wushukun and Edmer, the Emperor, the Doctor and Stamitan, here on Discovery. Hear my tale of discovery, a crew who's not all fine. They'll have to do the best they can to fit into this new time. Burnham and Captain Saru will do all that they can to take care of their crew, you see, and execute the plan. New races, world relationships, and new technology. Discovery was an ancient ship as primitive as in me. So turn up on each Thursday night right here on your TV. You never know what you will see here on Discovery. And we're back. And Eric, I love that more and more each time I hear it. Just absolutely Thanks, outstanding. <laughs> it makes me smile and giggle just a little bit every time I listen to it. It's so much fun. You know, I, when COVID said a three-hour tour, my mind immediately went to work. Um, but I like your version so much better than mine. <laughs> well, I would say it was a team effort, Jim. Like, uh, you know, the idea was yours. Most of the lyrics are yours. I just kind of tweaked it, made it, uh, made it uh, what it is today. Yeah, it definitely sounds good. Well, guys, uh, <laughs> that was that was Dorothy. Uh, we had a great time talking with her, but we're not done. We're going to do our Star Trek birthdays, and we've got quite a few. So. Before we can get started, we have to do this. That was not a Klingon song. So each week we do our Star Trek birthdays, and we always start out by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who sadly are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. 
Yeah, Jim, our first remembrance this week goes out to actor Anthony Caruso, who played the character of Bella Ockminx in the TOS episode, A Piece of the Action. Uh, you'll, of course, remember that as the uh, the mob episode, so to speak. And he's the he's the big boss uh, with the big glasses. Um, and uh, Anthony was, uh, you know, he's a pr- very prolific actor. He was in many, many movies. Uh, he also made guest appearances on a lot of television series, uh, including uh, The Untouchables and The Addams Family. Uh, so uh, very uh talented and prolific actors so uh happy birthday to anthony who would have had a a birthday this week we're also saying happy birthday and sending our remembrances out to arthur uh uh i believe i got that pronunciation right he of course played lieutenant damato uh in tos's episode that which survives uh so happy birthday to arthur we're also saying happy birthday to Catherine Hayes, who played the character of Jim in TOS's episode, The Empath. A uh, very interesting episode. Uh, Catherine would have had a birthday this week, so happy birthday to her. Also, happy birthday to Lee Burgery, uh, who played good old Abe Lincoln in the old Savage Curtain episode. Um, it's so funny. I when I think of Abe Lincoln, for whatever reason, uh, his is the face that comes to mind. It's probably because I saw this episode uh, over and over and over again in my public library as a child on 16 millimeter film. It was one of the ones that uh, they would play every weekend. So I've seen the Savage Curtain tons of times, and uh, he of course played uh, Abe Lincoln. So happy birthday to Lee Burgery. Also, happy birthday this week to Charles Napier, who played Adam in the TOS episode, The Way to Eden, and also played General Rex Denning in DS9's episode, Little Green Men, Uh, a super fun episode. This is a super famous actor. If you guys um, saw his picture, you would be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Um, he's the one, uh, who in the TOS episode is, uh, all about, you know, come on. He's like the hippie. He's like, come on, man, let's play some music. Let's chill out. And, <laughs> you know, um, very hippie episode. So anyway, uh, great, great actor, great, great characters that he got to play in at least two different series. So happy birthday to Charles Napier. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Jay Robinson, who played Ambassador Petri in TOS's episode, Alan of Troyes. Uh, the green character uh, with the funny blonde hairdo, you'll probably remember from that episode. So uh, happy birthday to Jay Robinson. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Joseph Ruskin, uh, someone who is uh, many faceted in the Star Trek uh, lexicon. Uh, he played the character of Galt in TOS's episode, The Gamesters of Triskelion. He also played Tomek in DS9's episode, The House of Quark, and also uh, looking for Parmok in all the wrong places, which I just think is such a great episode title. Um, this character, or excuse me, this actor uh, has been all over the place. He actually also, interestingly, worked on Star Trek video games. Uh, he worked on Star Trek Hidden Evil in 1999 and also played a, a Vulcan Admiral in Star Trek Away Team in 2001. So happy birthday to Joseph Ruskin. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Arlene Martell. Uh, very, very famous character, but just appears in one episode, and that's it. 
until now, right? Arlene Martell was the original to bring in TOS's episode Amok Time. And we're going to get a little bit more to bring in Strange New Worlds as we understand. But uh, Arlene Martell originated that role. Uh, very beautiful, uh, very awesome uh, compliment to Spock. Of course, Spock's betrothed. So uh, happy birthday to Arlene Martell. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Robert Walker Jr., who played Charlie X himself, Charlie Evans from the TOS episode, Charlie X. Uh, yet another omnipotent being in the <laughs> Star Trek lexicon. So uh, happy birthday to Robert Walker Jr. And our final remembrance this week goes out um, to somebody who is uh, not necessarily an actor, but somebody who is a, I guess, I would consider a visual effects pioneer. Uh, and you guys, um, there are two movies that he worked on that I consider at the base level of anybody who's watching uh, any sort of science fiction. They kind of need to start here. Um, Star Trek, the motion picture, which ties, of course, directly to 2001 A Space Odyssey, Doug Trumbull, special effects supervisor on both those movies, uh, would have had a birthday this week. But that's not where it stops. I mean, he goes to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He goes to Blade Runner. Um, he's got all kinds of things included in um, the work that he has, has done or had done uh, throughout his life. Um, somebody whose talents are very much missed these days. Doug Trumbull would have had a birthday this week. Uh, and I, it just personally, 2001 and Star Trek The Motion Picture are two of my favorite movies. They're, they're two that have um, a very similar pace and a very similar kind of like a hard science fiction look at how to do sci-fi on screen. And Doug Trumbull, I think, was part of, of that, um, you know, realization of both of those movies. So happy birthday to Doug Trumbull. Um, you guys, that was a lot of remembrances this week. A lot of people have uh, April birthdays. I consider it part of that fall rush. You know, people start... Uh, having babies kind of late in the fall there. So <laughs> lots of spring birthdays. Uh, Charles, who would we like to celebrate this week that is still with us? Well, we're going to start right off with the same direction you were going. <clears throat> and happy birthday to John Steve. And, of course, people say, well, wait a minute, who is that? Well, he's a person that does a lot of design on his, like, Enterprise and the movies. But he had two very well-known ships that he did. He actually helped design the Enterprise B and the Enterprise C. Oh, awesome. Generations and the Next Generation movies. Then we got Faith Salee, who played Serena Douglas in DS9 Statistical Probabilities and Chrysalis. Rob Perlman played Renan Viceroy in Star Trek Nemesis. Wait, is that the same Rob Perlman that we know? No. A different Rob nope. Perlman. <laughs> different Rob, Rob with Perlman. two B's versus Rob with one B. 
Uh, for those of you who have not heard our podcast, we have had Rob with two Bs, Perlman, the author, on our podcast before. Check out the Book of Grudge. It's really fun. Meow. <laughs> then we got Joe Gray, who played Caleb in Void Resistance. Capoya. Coppola. Coppola played Lieutenant Scotty in Voyager's Caretaker. And you're saying, wait a minute, who? He was the first Betazoid pilot who served in Star- as a Starfleet officer in Voyager's era. People forget about but that. It was one of the crew members we lost in that first episode. Yep. And they yep. found the Mossies. I got to right. point out, this is another example of Jim likes the character, let's kill them off. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> she was awesome. She was totally awesome. She was a con officer on the ship, yeah. She was a great character, and boom, she's dead. So she's dead. that's the kids yeah. of death. <laughs> oh, if if oh. Jim likes them, we'll kill them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> And then my final one is a newer member of the Star Trek family is Bill Irwin, who played one of our one of my characters. One of the characters I really like, but get interesting backstory is Sukal from third season of Discovery, and we saw a little bit of him fourth season. You know, uh, Charles, I always wanted a little bit more touching back to Sakal myself in season four. I feel like they forgot about him a little bit, but I do understand that he's still um, Saru's ward. You know, he's still on the yep. ship. Uh, and I would love to see them return back to Sakal just yep. a little bit in season five because, you know, yeah, who knows what's going on with this well, guy. I would love to see more Sakal. Yeah, yeah totally. I would love to see more Sakal come in. Okay, Jim. Let's see who you came up with. And do you have any Klingons? Well, kind of. Uh, we'd like Ish. to say happy birthday to Michelle Scarbelli, who played on Star Trek. She played Lieutenant, Lieutenant Gina DeSoro in TNG's In Theory. She's the one that fell in love with Data. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, she stole my heart as Susan on Alienation, the TV series, which even to this day is one of my favorite uh, television shows. And she played it's, Susan, the wife of George Francisco. Can I just say, Jim, I love that show so much, but I also really, really like her character, Desora, in TNGs, because that that episode shows you the, I think, kind of our first look at an emotional connection between Data and a human being, right, where it's beyond just, like, two buds kind of hanging out and doing their things together. Like, she actually feels romantic feelings for Data because of the type of person, so to speak, that he is. So I really like that episode for that reason. Yeah, and Data, uh, Data, if I remember, I haven't seen that episode in a long time. But I think Data, doesn't Data go to um, Guinan for help? Yeah, uh, he does, and he's because he, what he's trying to do is he's trying to figure out what it's like to be in a relationship because he's actually really interested in being in a relationship, 
but he just doesn't know how to do it. And he's got this person and this perfect opportunity. And so, yes, he, he goes to a few different people for advice throughout the episode. He goes to Crusher. Yeah. Uh, I believe he talks to – actually, I don't remember if he talks to Troy or not. But, um, but yeah, he's, it's like the Data Explores a Relationship episode. Yeah, that was a good one. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Jennifer Morrison, who played Winona Kirk in Star Trek 2009, the mother of James T. Kirk. Um, we'd also like to say happy birthday to Haley, Joel, I see Den people, Osmond, who played Lieutenant <laughs> O'Connor in LBS's Moist Effect, and everybody knows him from the sixth oh. sense. Um, oh, such a good, so. like the first, the problem with that movie is that the, you can only see it once, and then, yeah. and then you're done. But man, the first time you see it, you're like, what? Yeah, the first time you see it, you're totally like, like wow, but then after that, you you, you watch it again, yeah. and it, it it's just yeah. yeah, it's not the same. But the first time, yeah. it's awesome. So happy birthday to Haley Joel. Uh, we'd also like to say happy birthday to William Sadler, who played Luther Sloan, Section Thirty One operative in DS Nine, which so is interesting because we got some news from Michelle Yeoh on the Section Thirty One TV series that um, we've been hearing about for years. So we might actually be seeing some Section 31. We'll have to wait and see. Um, I don't have a Klingon per se. Exactly a Klingon. But do I? We'd like to say happy birthday to Paul Servino, who played Nikolai Rozhenko um, in TNG's Homeworld. And why does he fit the bill kind of of a Klingon? Because he was warped. Worf's foster brother. So Mm -hmm. uh, that would have been an interesting series. Worf growing up with with a brother on Earth. That would make a great series. Yeah. See, I think I I totally agree, Jim. I mean, Nikolai was definitely the guy who, like, they physically grew up together at the same time, right? And they were both very strong-willed, one a human, one a Klingon, so, like, one has, like, different blood kind of driving his, like, urges or whatever, and I would love to see how the two of them interact as teenage, you know, overly aggressive teenage boys. <laughs> with Yeah, one especially, especially when Worf got the gorge. Yeah, you know, totally. And all, that would be awesome. all that stuff. I would love to see that. I remember in the video game when you got a gorch, it, it, it would kill you. I, I kept dying from my gorches. I was like, wow. Well, okay. and it explored, like, as I remember, they were on this really, like, isolated uh, planet, too, right? Like, they were far away from everybody else. So there could be some cool, like, you know, we never see the Federation. We never see anybody else out there uh, type of thing. So, yeah, I, I agree. Homeward uh, is, a, is an episode that deserves to be expanded upon. And if Paramount Plus is listening, you know, we, we, we mentioned it first here. Go for it. That's right. <laughs> all right, guys. So that wraps up all of our Star Trek birthdays. Uh, we do have a tiny bit of Star Trek news. Not much, but one, one in particular, which we haven't had in a long time. So don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Chris from Trek Talking and Beyond, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and other sci-fi related content, and we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433 
on Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on East Coast time. Hailing frequencies are always open and will get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith. You will call. And we're back. And Eric, you got our first story, and it's one we haven't had in a while. Oh, my gosh, you guys. I was so excited when I saw that there was an event this week that would cause us to be able to say, Shatner says, what? That's right. Uh, return of our fig- favorite segment, William Shatner rebuffs Will Wheaton's story about their onset meeting. What? Ah, here we go. I say it isn't so. I know. There's a little bit of tension here. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm dramatizing this a little bit. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps I am. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Will Wheaton recounts the meeting as part of his upcoming new book, What? Still Just a Geek, an annotated memoir. You ask what Will Wheaton's been doing. He's been writing a book, y'all. So, Still Just a Geek, an annotated memoir. Wheaton describes Shatner as being less than welcoming. He teased the teenage Wheaton over his Next Generation costume and made a comment about not letting children on, quote, his bridge. Wheaton also recounted how Shatner did extend an olive branch after the encounter. It seemed to have smoothed things over, and since then the two have worked together, so it seems like water under the bridge. Uh, Shatner responded to Wheaton on Twitter. This is the way we communicate people in 140 characters or less at a time, claiming that not only does he not remember the incident, of course not, but no one he seemingly talked to does as well. So uh, Will Wheaton made it up? I don't know. I'm sorry I'm commentating here, but I feel it's necessary for this article. Despite this, he does claim he's apologized to him a few times over the incident, even though he doesn't remember it. He does remember that Wheaton had accepted his apology and claimed that Wheaton must not be the one for, or must not be the one forgetting. When it's all said and done, It's not like any of this matters. Wheaton and Shatner are two of the most polarizing people in Star Trek, and it really doesn't affect their status within the brand at all. Okay, this is a weird article for me. So first of all, it's based on drama. But second of all, can anyone disbelieve that Shatner would be maybe a little bit distant to Will Wheaton? And could anybody disbelieve that Will Wheaton could get a little bit offended by you know, Shatner being a little bit distancing uh, of himself from him. So here's what I take out of this. The two sparred just a little bit. It's very clear that both are very well uh, established in the Star Trek lexicon. Uh, This article in particular says that Wheaton is a little bit polarizing. I would disagree. I think that his like street cred has honestly gone up quite a bit since uh, introduction of the ready room. And I think that now he's at the point where his popularity might actually be eclipsing Mr. Shatner's. And that's not to, to like poo poo anything Mr. Shatner has done over time, because I mean, this brother is the one who like invented the genre, like, and, and he's the, he's certainly the only one who's actually been to space. So, um, so I'll just say that uh, there's a little bit of drama here. Uh, but I don't think it's any big deal. And I'm excited that uh, Will Wheaton has actually written a book, Just a Geek, 
an annotated memoir. Annotated, dudes. That's like lots of footnotes and lots of interesting, like, back, uh, back of the house information. So I'm super excited about this book. Um, Shatner, I love you, bro. Uh, I love that you went to space. Uh, but to me, uh, I'm, I'm all about the wheat in these days. Absolutely. Well, uh, I will break some news to you guys. The book came out on Tuesday. Oh, there it is. I have not yet picked it up. It but I have out. you picked it up, Charles? I have not picked it up. I'm getting the audio book right now. Mm-hmm. But I, he posted hey, that. I went to Amazon. It's like, boom, there it is. Like, oh. Nice. Hey, Sounds like a trick talking review to me. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, Charles, you've got our next story, which Dorothy uh, mentioned to us, and we we mentioned it last week, but I I thought we should be a little bit more specific. So uh, you've got our next story. I think I mentioned a little bit last week, but thinking about Will and who we're missing, Star Trek Next Generation cast reuniting for proper send-off in Picard's Season 3. Termon Plus has revealed that Patrick Stewart, Star Trek, Next Generation co-stars, LeVar Burton, Michael Dorn, Jonathan Triggs, Jake McFadden, Marina Sirtis, and Brent Spiner will star alongside Stewart in Season 3 of Star Trek, Picard. Executive producer Terry Matalis is the sole showrunner for Season 3, which wrapped up filming last month, said of season three. I remember watching the premiere of Star Trek The Next Generation almost 34 years ago with my father like it was yesterday. It was a spark that ignited my love for science fiction. So it's most fitting that the story of John Luke Picard ends honoring the beginning with his dearest and most loyal friends from the USS Enterprise. It would be an understatement to say that giving these characters a proper send-off is an honor. The entire Star Trek Picard team can't wait for fans to experience its final high-stakes starship-bound adventure in a season three. Ooh. Oh. That's a spoiler. Are we going to see the Enterprise? F. The Enterprise I, I F. Hope. That's what I'm hoping for. Come on, give me an F. I want to see a new Enterprise. Yep. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the E, and the E has done a lot of good work, but I am ready for the F. Um, And, man, it would be so cool if they actually showed that. And they say proper send-off, and so if they treat it with the same reverence that they treated Data's send-off in Season 1, I will be extremely pleased. Yeah, look, I'm... I'm looking forward to this. And even, even Dorothy hinted at it. She said she can't wait for us to see it. I know. I know. I can't wait to see the costumes. <laughs> and we will have, I'm telling you, I'm making you guys a promise right now. We will have Dorothy back once we can watch it and talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. She was, she was so much of a joy to interview. Um, yeah. Just like, thank you, Dorothy, for coming in on the show. She'll be back, I promise you guys. And the final quick story here um, is mine, uh, and because it's, it's an Anson Mount type of a deal here. Strange New Worlds reveals full names of Mbenga and Spock. 
fans at the official mission Chicago Star Trek convention have revealed that Strange New Worlds will be giving first names to two characters that previously did not have canonical first names. And both have their origin origins in Star Trek novels. And Bingo's first name is Jabilo, which comes from David Mack's 2005 novel, Harbinger. Jabilo is a word for healer or medicine man in, in, Louis, in Luo wow. language of Kenya. Yep. Spock will also get a first name. Sajid. <laughs> So, it's impossible to pronounce, Jim. You, you can't, can't pronounce it. it in English. It's Sajin Tagai. It's like, Tagai. yeah, Sajin Tagai. Tagai. His name Which was considered just, to be... Just, like, cracks me wow. Uh, his name was considered to be unpronounceable to off-worlders. Uh, it is. Oh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was strongly implied in the TOS episode, This Side of Paradise. This name comes from the 1985 novel Ishmael. Representatives from Paramount Plus have reached out with a statement about the names on the posters. Um, a Star Trek mission, uh, Chicago, inadvertently disclosed posters with names of Spock and Mbenga. But they were incorrect. Sometimes when you work at work speed, mistakes are made. While Spock and Mbenga do indeed have first names, they have yet to be revealed. Sounds okay. like some uh, back peddling conspiracy yeah. type so, stuff going on like, here. So like Jim, what are we supposed to take away from that? Uh, like have they revealed them or have they not? Uh, because to me, Jabilo is the perfect first name for Mbenga, right? Like that's amazing. And the fact that I could barely, <laughs> barely follow all the apostrophes in uh, Spock's first name, that seems uh, appropriate as well. So uh, why, yeah. are they, why are they backpedaling on that? Well, let me tell you a little story. Uncle Jim's going to set the way back clock here. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, there's a scene in the movie where Kirk dies, but it's not really Kirk. It's a shapeshifter. And I went to a convention, and Paramount was there. It's, this was a convention that was sponsored by those who shall not be named. Mm-hmm. And so even though all of the fans knew what happened, even though Shatner knew what happened because he was, he was the guest at the convention, they actually had the nerve to stand there and tell us that what we were seeing, we didn't really see. And what we heard, we really didn't really hear. And it, it was just a mistake that was made and to ignore and then I'm like, really? Come on. So, yeah, they do backpedal and try to make us think that what they did was a mistake, but it's not. Those are their names. Believe it. Okay? Yep. If they and printed them on posters and, and, and put those posters up, those are legitimate. That's not some fan in his basement making up some stuff. That's official Paramount Plus released material. So they're real. And let's be clear, until we hear Spock pronounce his own name, we don't actually know how it's pronounced. I mean, we can read the letters and we can suppose how it's pronounced, but I'm going to take uh, his first pronunciation of his own name as the the way that it's done from now on. Yeah, I, it's it's 
Yeah. Well, well yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, uh, yeah, wow. So uh, we're going to take another very quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to hear what the fans thought about Star Trek Picard 2 of 1. Hello. You have reached the Q Continuum. We are unable to get to the phone right now because we are busy living in a plane of existence your feeble mortal minds cannot possibly comprehend. Furthermore, it's pointless to leave a message because we, of course, already knew that you would call, and we simply do not care. Have a nice day. And we're back. I love that. Um, I just had to play that one more time because I love it's it. Good stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So anyways, uh, every week on our Facebook page, I post a question to you guys, our faithful listeners and followers on Facebook, and ask you to score this week's episode of Star Trek on a score of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. And Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about 2 of 1? Well, gosh, we are continuing the trend here, guys. Uh, Michael Halliday said a 10. Great episode, great season. I love that they're giving Orla Brady more. Not only that, they're making this Talon Laris side story very intriguing. Also, the Gerardi Borg Queen story is awesome! Exclamation point. Uh, Dorothy Lacey Kerr says Gerardi can sing! Amazing! I'll give it a 9. Edward Brock gave it an eight. Allison Pill was awesome, and I love the board queen. John Ellis gave it a ten, thanks to Allison Pill's performance. She's a great singer. Sandy Corby gave it a 9.5. My biggest complaint is the board queen talks too much. Sandy, <laughs> I, I feel you, Sandy. Sorry. Um, top fan Sean Jr. said, again, solid six. Very slow episode again. Benjamin Lee Whitney gave it a six. It's dragging on now a bit. Needs to get a wiggle on. Otherwise, we're going to stall. Other than that, I'm quite enjoying it. Christopher Stowe gave it a 9.5. I love the episode. My only gripe is it was a little short. John Murray said 8.5. I thought it was a great episode. And top fan Mark Newstrom, who we have heard from multiple times, gave it a nine. Allison Pill is amazing this season, as is Orla Brady. Also, the whole Soong scenario is very intense. Love it. So, uh, Jim, that brings us to a fan score of 8.6 on this one, which is uh, just a skosh above last week's, but still a significant, a statistically significant amount lower than our first four episodes. So my question to you is, are the episodes diminishing in quality or are people kind of like finally figuring out what's going on here? And it's just, uh, it's not as good as they first thought. Well, I think that I find it odd that these last two episodes were directed by Jonathan Frakes. Who's, who's a phenomenal director. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we'll, we'll expand on that here in a little bit, but I totally agree with you because usually when we talk about Frank's episodes, we're talking about like 9.5 and above and our fan scores have been 8.5 and 8.6 for this last week. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about our personal uh, agreement or disagreement with those numbers, but uh, but Jonathan Frakes is kind of a benchmark that we typically set when we talk about episode directors. Absolutely. That's what, surprised, what surprises me 
about it so much. Yep. But we'll, we'll get we'll get to that. So you know, I got to say, first of all, did Allison Pill actually sing note that song, or was so, that was that was it dubbed? I don't know. Well, so I have done as much research as is available on the internet right now, and it seems as though Allison Pill actually did sing that. So um, wow. I'm kind of excited about that. I did I did not think that was the case. Uh, what it turns out, maybe it was. That's impressive. So, um, yeah, wow. I, geez, she can sing. That's wow. Which, well, before we go, which I for, think is, before, is literally black alert, alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. It, there we go. There Forgot we to go. play it. But Rafi literally says that, right? She's like, uh, "Oh, Gerardi can sing." <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I, I'm sitting there with my wife and my daughter uh, watching it, and she, she breaks in a song, and she sings a Pat Benatar song, um, yeah. Shadows, Shadows of the, of the Night. Night. Um, yeah. yeah, so Pat Benatar won a Grammy Award for Best Rock Female Vocal Perpor- Performance for Shadows of the Night. The song was from her 1982 album, Get Nervous. Um, so that's cool. Um, and if you listen to the, the to the lyrics that she's singing, um, it's very bored, queeny, assimilating me from the inside type of a deal. Mm-hmm. It's a very fitting song for what's going on between the two of them at that at that particular moment. So I thought that was a great choice of songs. And when she broke, you know, uh, when she broke into the song, I'm like, is that is that that can't is that Pat Benatar? It can't be. And I was like, wow, <laughs> it is. It is Pat Benatar. So, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I have to, to tell you that like, when, when they broke in, when she broke into that, the first thing I thought of, which actually ties into our discussion with Dorothy tonight, was um, there's a great season six episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer called Once More with Feeling. And it is a total musical episode where all of a sudden they just like broke the fourth wall and brought everybody out and did everything in song. And to me, that was one of those moments in this episode. It was totally out of character. It came out of nowhere. It's like uh, the board queen shuts down the power, and Allison Pill starts singing. Gerardi starts singing, and suddenly the band knows right where she is, yeah. and they like pick up with her, and they start. And and even though the power's out, <laughs> there's still a spotlight on her somehow. It's so, the board um, queen. She can she, yeah. she can do these things. <laughs> right. It, it was a great moment. It really was. Yeah. It was really great. But I do have to say though, I'm extremely disappointed at the runtime. I pointed this out in Discovery season one, and and at that time the episode that I was complaining about was 36 minutes. This episode clocks in at a tick, a tick over a half an hour. That is unacceptable for me. Um, this is a streaming show. They are not restricted to any time limit whatsoever. They don't have commercial breaks. They don't have to do any of that. So for them to give us a 30-minute episode is absolutely unacceptable in my book. Totally well, ridiculous. Well, Jim, um, I, 
I, I know that we typically like wait to get other people's opinions, but I, I cannot disagree with you. And not only that, but the whole format of the episode was weird. The fact that they they do this thing where it's kind of like a flashback. They show Picard like struggling. Uh, you know, obviously he's been in some kind of accident. His nose is bleeding, blah, blah, blah. At the beginning of the episode, and they're like, 36 minutes ago, 28 minutes ago. Um, you guys, I already know that Picard has a season three. So anything that puts Picard in peril of death is uninteresting to me because I already know he survives. So it's just like, exactly. okay, what, what are you doing? Like, yeah. I don't, why do I care? I already know he's going to be okay. Yeah, it was like a flashback within the time travel. It, I, it was very strange the way they were. The uh, way, it was almost uh, like, um, what? What's that TV show where they where they uh, was it Law and Order? What was the TV show where they they did that on every single episode? Um, mm, well, anyways, uh, it was a crime yeah. drama thing where they were they would show you the evidence happening and they'd say, thirty six yeah. minutes ago, Joe walked into the bar and whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I the biggest thing that disappointed me was the. The, the actual episode, I, I actually got it written down here. Wait a second. Uh, the episode actually had a five-minute and 41-second recap from last week oh, and wow. a one-minute and 57-second intro. Ah! So that's okay. seven, eight minutes cut out of the episode right there. So, so wait, out of 34 like, minutes, you've got yeah, I mean, cut it's, out? It's, Yes, that's just unacceptable uh, to me. Uh, uh, we're paying for a streaming show. I want to see more than 30 minutes for my $9. Uh, I, I, I hope that this is a, a, a rarity and doesn't become a normal thing. Um, but the episodes have been running short. This one was exceedingly short. Um, just, yeah, wow. Well, that was my that was one of my biggest biggest complaints. I actually timed it out. That's how much it bothered me that I sat there. Did you time out the credits? Out. Well, <laughs> no, I didn't what? time out the credits because the episode it ended at that point. But yeah, not acceptable. So yeah, the thing that I found okay. So I already told you what I didn't like about it, but there were some things that I found intriguing and fascinating so Girardi does not kill the board right. queen she didn't kill her well she no, allowed no, 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 herself no, no. yeah go ahead well I mean she did kill her but she but before she was dead what happened Jim yeah she allows herself to be injected with the nanoprobes but I have to tell you I do not think that is an allow like I, the way that I read that scene was Gerardi comes in with the shotgun. She blows the neck off of the board queen. They're chatting, chatting, chatting. And as the board queen like reaches for her, there's a clandestine assimilation thing that happens there. And I do not think that Gerardi actually was aware of that until it happened. And until we get this episode where we get much more dialogue between the two of those characters. Well, she, she, she specifically said she couldn't allow her to die because she was their only way home. Right. So right. that right but, there tells me that 
she was aware of what was going on okay. and that she okay. feels that she can control the Borg Queen. We yeah, later find out set to Pat Benatar's Shadows of the Night, that ain't the Which... case. <laughs> I'm waiting waiting to talk about that moment. But yes. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I think you're probably right, Jim. Uh, I think you and, probably uh, actually did know now that I think about it. Yeah. We, we, we do have a caller on the line, too. So, yeah, let me see if I can get there. We go. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name? And where are you calling us from tonight? Hello? 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 Where's Ray for the Bronx? I'm back. It's Ray! 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 Congratulations. How did everything go, Ray? Everything okay? No, I know, I know, I know, I can't do you. I can't do you. I'm just summertime, y'all. I don't say I, I've been knowing we got been working everything else, and and we all you. I was doing Picard, and I was doing French Prince Bel Air. So right now, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of hard to compare with two best shows on Thursday nights. I got to do one even Thursday or Friday. That's what happened for the past couple <laughs> <of> weeks. <laughs> I'm glad to hear your voice, and I'm glad everything worked out so well for you, Ray. No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I'm too like a like George and I to do my surgery. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I was like, you know, I was doing like little crossovers. You know what I'm saying? When I say, you know, I say, I'm saying, I not forget you guys. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like that. So I say, I'm saying, let me give you a shout out. And you know, let me say hi and give you a shot and let you know, you know, let you know I'm still around. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ray. Glad you're here, buddy. Yep. Glad no, to hear from you. Yeah. Thanks no, a lot, Ray. And no problem. And no problem. And what the, uh, uh, um, um, can I say real quick? Okay. And one thing about that point, you saw my TV show at the time. I tried, I, I, I I try to remember that show too, and I have to. I, I, I did that back in the seventies. I try to remember that show too. Talking about uh, the uh, um, the time there. I try to remember too, but I know I know what's going But next week's show, I'll figure it out. Well, I, I haven't I haven't seen it yet, so I can't say. No, I I know. I I I familiar, but I'm trying to figure out one show that what it sounds familiar. Yeah, I yeah I I'm not entirely sure. Well, you know, I mean, uh, like I said, at first I thought it was Season Eight Nine. No, that's Season Eight Nine. I mean, at first I think about doing Atlanta Lost and Atlanta Lost, but still in that line before Mister Judge come up, I'll give you an answer from that. Let me do my research. All right, that sounds like a plan, man. All right, let's do my research. All right, thanks a lot, Ray. Hey guys, and we we have another caller on the line here too. We've got two. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where you're calling us from tonight? Hello? Hello? Caller? Bueller? I get, I guess. Okay. Well, that's that's two. That's two for the night that didn't want to talk to us. That's right. Wow. Well, you know, two misfire. But you know what? Every once in a while, when you shoot a photon torpedo, it misses its target. 
<laughs> well, so uh, I mentioned that. I, I, okay, so, you know, I'm also thinking that, that, that Iraqi keeps seeing Elnor quite frequently. Yeah. Uh, I'm really thinking she's suffering from PTSD uh, because she, she sees him all over the place. And, you know, I, I guess maybe that's their way of keeping the character around, maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah, but, I, it's, it's, I don't know, Jim. It's a little rough right now. I mean, if I'm to, if I'm to like, kind of summarize uh, this episode a little bit, um, Rafi, so Rafi was one of my favorite characters in season one. Like, the way that she supported Picard, I loved the fact that she had some vices. I loved, like, they, they, they made her a real character. And to me, the biggest, and I don't, I don't mean to head here, guys, but to me, the biggest disappointment about season two so far is the, is the development of both the characters of Rafi and Seven. Neither one of them have been developed to any degree um, uh, Rafi has been shown as being somebody who's very concerned about Elnor being um, killed off, which I can actually kind of like trace back to her, her son from season one and like, okay, there's this like young kid who was killed off. And so she's very concerned about him. Okay. I get that. I get that. Right. But she, they're not allowing her to like open up at all or, the even the relationship between her and Seven to like actually develop at all this season. So to me, Rafi uh, was the character that I was literally, you guys, the most excited about for this season. And I'm just like, what are they doing with her? Nothing. They have literally shown her as somebody who is very concerned about somebody having died, and that is it. That is all they have given this character. And if if somebody can call in and convince me otherwise, I will be happy to listen to their argument. But, ah, guys, I just wanted Rafi to be so kick-ass because she's so kick-ass in the book, right? In those Picard books that we read, she's so awesome, and she's such a great compliment to the Picard character. They're not showing her off in season two the way that I would like her to be shown. Well, what gets, what gets me about the most about it, Eric, is, the, the the first episode was was just 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 lights out awesomely incredibly just wow amazing and she's the cap she she's the captain yeah. of the Excelsior yeah and she she is not acting like the captain of anything right now she's like because that's uh, Rafi she I mean in her current state this person never ever would have been given command of a shuttlecraft. Never mind a starship. Um, you know, be, because yeah. pe- you're you're going to lose people under your command, and you have to deal with that. You, you don't have to be callous and, and, and ignore it or anything, but you need to deal with it because you have 400 and some odd other crew members that are depending upon you not mm-hmm. to become emotionally compromised. And they have taken all the strides that they made with Rafi from season one, and they've stripped it all away and put her right back to that. Yeah. In my opinion. So disappointing. I mean, so disappointing. Just that's just my opinion. And I'm uh, a little bit on my high horse right now because this episode in particular, and I'll just reveal right now, was so disappointing to me compared to like 
the way that they were headed, like this one to me is the absolute bottom of the season so far. Well, there's just uh, so uh, Corey is the first augment, right? Correct. I think so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they specifically said eugenics, so I'm thinking she's the first, and she very well could be the bringer of destruction and the destroyer of worlds. Yes, yeah, very, which, which I mentioned. Tie-in. I love that. You know, I mentioned last week. Yep. So that could, could now, one of my highlights of this episode uh, was the craft that Jean-Luc and Rene talk about is seen in the opening credits of Star Trek Enterprise. It's referred to as the OV-165 shuttle, and she refers to it as Spike for the aerodynamic engines that are on it. This is the, this is the ship that you see at the beginning of Enterprise that doesn't exist. It's not a real ship like the other ships that we see, and it's just there. Well, now we know what it is. Well, and, it actually, and Jim, well, it is... It is based on an actual NASA, like, prototype shuttle, though. It's not one that's actually been produced, but it is one that has been talked about and theorized about for a long time. So that's one of the things that I really loved about the opening credits to Enterprise, that that particular shuttle, even at that time in the early 21st century, was actually based on a realistic depiction of where NASA thought they were headed in the future. And I, well, I enjoyed the conversation that he had with her at that point. And I thought that Jean-Luc, uh, the Jean-Luc of old came out in that scene and uh, did what he does best. And the fact that they talked about the from Enterprise, just, you know, it, anytime they can tie it into other shows, it just makes, it just makes my little geek heart tingle. And uh, that was one of those scenes. Let me make this one a little more interesting with this mission. This mission's not quite as fictitious as you think it is. This mission is going to Europa. Well, they're sending somebody to Europa. Well, in 2024, NASA is actually going to be sending a probe to Jupiter, and one of the planets it's going to is to research Europa. Yeah, and actually, if you, and cite, if you go back and cite, if you go back and science fiction lore, Charles, like uh, Arthur C. Clarke, spends a lot of time with Europa because in his uh, lexicon of science fiction, Europa is actually the first place that we discover life outside of the um, the like Earth and our actual, like, planet in the Rob series. Well, and the thing is, they suspect there could be water on Europa. Yep. Liquid, like H2O water. If you want an interesting little discussion about this mission, go look up the Strange New World podcast and listen to the Europa episode where they talk about the tie-in because he was excited to find out Europa is mentioned in Picard. And they say, oh, I'll do, a, I'll do a little mini-show anytime they mention it. Well, since it's a part of it, he's been talking a lot about it, and the stories are fascinating. Well, 
there are, there's there's uh, I've got a couple more things I want to mention here before we make there something interesting with it. She nicknames the ship Spike. I think that's kind of interesting as I look at as a as a Kenneth reference because we've had a Charlie Brown the Snoopy in the early Mars mission, early Moon mission. And I kind of like the fact that Spike is one of the Peanuts characters. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So one of the things that I thought was uh, interesting in this episode is Picard meets Soon um, for the first time, uh, which was interesting. I mean, you, the look on Picard's face when he meets him is like he's looking at data. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, I like the relationship between Rafi and Rios as well. Uh, she's at the bar and, I, and, you know, she gets a club soda. So she didn't, she didn't go for the alcohol. She went for the club soda and uh, Rios comes over and gives her an uplifting pep talk type of a, uh, of a deal, which I thought was, was great insight into the relationship of the two of them. But the Borg Queen, I think, steals the show for me because her uh, two of one is the perfect name for this particular episode, as yep. short as it was. Um, you know, <laughs> she, she, she took control uh, by singing the song, and that's how she took control. And uh, now she's a lady in red, and she's running through the city, and I'm wondering <laughs> if she's going to – can she uh, – can she assimilate other yes. people? Yes. I'm wondering. I she mean, can, can she go around and just... And... Can, can she go around and zing, 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 and like Literally, create her own Borg army she now? Can, she can create a entirely Borg-inhabited Earth right now. So I'm, I'm interested. I, I can't wait to go watch it when we get done but, here because I'm dying to know so, what happened. But, Jim, can we talk about – so what the, the, the outcome of that is, so if we just kind of look at what we've seen in Picard so far. So let's say Gerardi goes out there, and we have all this worry about her, like, assimilating the Earth, right? Um, what do we actually see at the beginning? Uh, is it episode two of this series? We see Picard during the final execution and conquering – of the board queen. So as far as we know, the outcome of this timeline is that, right? Is that uh, the, the Federation or the Confederation is actually victorious and uh, overrules everything that's out there. So anything that we see relative to the board queen taking over is completely moot because we already know from like the second or third episode that Picard conquers the board queen. So what danger is there? Uh, ah, I just like, I feel like I could talk about this episode forever because it just was, uh, 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 I don't know. Well, I, I guess, I guess it all depends on, you know, how you, how you look at it. No, no, I, I have to tell you, this, this particular episode, none of it makes any sense because um, we've – first of all, uh, I hate the way that Rene Picard is portrayed 
in this episode, she's portrayed as somebody who is a chronic drinker who doesn't know how to engage in any social situation and doesn't have any sort of handle on what it means to be an astronaut and actually face risk. So the way they've portrayed Renee Picard is as a very weak character that doesn't really have any redeeming, like they haven't even spent enough time with us to show how successful she can be to let us know that her trepidation about the Europa, Europa mission is somewhat justified. So first of all, I think they completely like just flush that part down the toilet. Um, I think the part about Agnes actually talking to herself is fairly interesting in this episode because I think the interaction between Gerardi and the board queen is pretty good, but the setup, like I already said, the setup of the entire episode is totally dumb at the beginning because we already know that Picard's going to be okay. So as they do the countdown to Picard not being okay, we already know he's going to be okay. So we don't care about anything that's going on. And, um, I finally just – I just want to say this. I finally figured out that the reason that Rafi has been completely overactingly been sad about Elnor this season is that he actually reminds her of the son that she lost in season one who would not interact with her. So I – like, I've been kind of sour on Rafi's interaction with Elnor because I'm like, oh, my God, why does Rafi all of a sudden care about Elnor? Of course she cared about him, but she, like, went full in on caring about him. I think it's the connection between Elnor and her son that she's actually reading right hmm. now. So that's my take on the season – or on this particular episode. Well, as far hey. as Rafi uh, – Rafi and Seven – I, they I haven't that, developed that relationship at all this season. Zero. Yeah, they they, yeah. they, they, <laughs> they specifically told us that that their hand-holding scene at the end of season one Ugh. would be expanded upon and developed in season two. It has They had a lot of screen time together. That's true. Um, they pretended to be married to get the pictures from – from uh, the funner guy, Paul. Which was a totally tower. wasted scene because they never but actually it, gained anything out of that entire situation. Exactly. They haven't, they, they've actually have ignored what happened at the end of last season. They haven't expanded upon it in any way, shape or form at nope. all. Um, nope. They've mentioned <laughs> it a, a little bit here and there. Rafi's complained about, Seven being a control freak and this type of thing, but but they haven't actually addressed it like they said they would. They dropped uh, it. I, I, dropped I got a quick question. Um, did anybody know if there was any time lapse between season one and season two? One year. Okay. Yeah, I think it was the, the COVID. Didn't they say it was the COVID time that elapsed? No, I think they just practice they they stretch it a year later to kind of yeah, yeah. tie in some of the points. It's actually interesting just... that the relationship between those two shows up a lot more in the card no man's land the audio book, the audio storyline more than this season has talked about it. Mm-hmm. 
And that book actually talked a lot more about nice. I can see a lot more on the relationship, which has feel- really been discussed. Yeah, Charles, it feels like that audio series gave me what I actually wanted out of Star Trek Picard Season 2. And that yeah, would have taken place between Season 1 and Season 2. Yeah, I mean, it's the development of Seven and Rafi's relationship, which we are getting absolutely zero of uh, out of this season so far. Like, the most that we've gotten is... Uh, Seven kind of like looking at Rafi and being like, dude, you're a little intense right now. Maybe you need to calm down. Um, it has not been, there has been almost zero development of their relationship during Picard season two. Yeah. And believe it or not, we've only had three episodes left. I know, dude. I just like, I can't wait to get to like summaries about this episode. Cause I, I got a lot to say, <laughs> you know, dude, dude. For three episodes, and and I'll tell you what, if they keep making them thirty minutes long, uh, you know, there's uh, no reason. Again, there's no reason for them not to expand upon Renee Picard. There's no reason for them not ban upon Rafi. They could make look at Game of Thrones. I, I I remember Game of Thrones episodes that were eighty minutes long, ninety minutes long. You know. Mm-hmm. When you're making a show that's streaming, you have no restrictions on you at all. Why isn't Paramount taking advantage of the fact that they stream it on their network, and if the episode comes in at 58 minutes, comes in at 58 minutes. If it comes in at 47, it comes in at 47. If it comes in at 63, it comes in at 63. But never, ever, ever should it come in at 30 minutes. I'm sorry I'm harping on it, but but that is part of the problem that we're talking about because they're not expanding upon the characters. They're not giving us the things they should. They're not showing us what we want to see. And how can they when they're only doing 30 minutes of film time? And another thing, do we really need to have a recap of, of five minutes and 41 seconds when the episode was only 30 minutes to begin with? No, no, the recap, (laughs) like, literally, I have a very strong opinion about this. Recaps should be limited to a minute and a half long because 30 seconds is too short. One minute gives you just enough. One and a half minutes gives you all the information you need to know if you didn't see last week's episode. And that's all. It doesn't take five minutes, you guys. It really, really does. And 41 seconds. And for um, seconds, yeah. <laughs> no, because honestly, did anybody, let me ask you guys, did I anybody that watched yeah. this episode not watch last week's? Well, well it's, okay, it's Jeff, it doesn't. Week. It's the last few episodes. Yeah. It, and, it's, and it, it's a streaming series. People are going to binge no, 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 it. No, 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 no. But it, so, okay, here's my opinion on this. We should be able to recap the last two or three episodes in one and a half minutes. It should not take five minutes to do that. And 41 seconds. And 41 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I'm huh. disappointed about that. Big time. So here's big, a question big, for you guys. Um, if, if it was a lot longer and the character that you saw at the beginning that was in peril was a different character other than Picard, what would you guys have said about the episode about it being, like, not too sorry, not Picard? 
a hundred percent more interesting if it had been like Rios and there was like like something's going on like to me the biggest travesty about this season so far is that they started to develop a awesome Rios story and they completely dropped it and just like threw it away um it just like to me if Rios had been the one that was like laying on the ground bleeding to death I would have been like oh my god what's going on are they gonna kill him off that would have been super interesting to me. Or seven. Or well, yes. Or seven. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. And actually, David, you might be right because if they had brought seven into it, it might have actually given them an opportunity to do something interesting with Rafi, which to me they have not done in many episodes so far. And I will tell you guys, I like you can listen to past episodes of Trek Talking you will see that I am a huge Rafi fan. Like, I loved her in the Picard books. I loved her in season one. She is literally one of my favorite characters, and I feel like that is the character that they have squandered the most in season two because all they have shown is her being extremely emotional about the death of Elnor and then kind of being a little bit off the rails about a couple things here and there. They have not shown her actually showing any characteristics of a person who is worthy of commanding a starship, which of course she was because she was Picard's second in command. Right. So big yep. miss, big miss on my, like in my opinion. Well, the only saving grace, again, we're seeing pieces of the puzzle without the completed picture. Let's, let's bear that in mind. Okay. Yeah, sure. So, sure. We we yeah. we know for a fact, and you know Dorothy confirmed it. We all know that the entire cast of TNG will be back in season three. That's a fact. It's going to happen. We also know that Q will be back in three episodes in season three. That is a fact as well. So we know we're going to have the TNG cast. We know we're going to have Q. I would not be totally surprised if Wesley shows up. I think they're keeping that under wraps, totally secret, um, because I just think we're going to see him. But my point of making this is this. We're almost at the end. We have three episodes. I'm going to watch tonight when we get done here, and then we got two more. You know, uh, what are they going to do with – the TNG cast and Q in season three, because let me, do you guys think or want to see a, 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 a quick TNG thing like we did with Nepenthe and it's over? Or do you think it's going to be a little bit more than that? Talking about a proper send off. They keep talking about a ship bound series. It sounds to me like season three is going to be more like a TNG thing and not, not Rios and Rafi and Seven. What do you think? Well, because I if it's not. Have, oh, I was going to say, I actually have a really interesting theory of why season one, season two, and possibly season three all have their separate stories. And here's why I was wondering why season one was so much different. Why didn't they just continue on that story in season two? But now season three is coming along, and they all mention that they're going to be there. It's because I think 
whatever's happening in season two is going to probably end up in a very big ha- uh, cliffhanger where everything's so messed up, the timeline didn't get fixed. So they're going to have either the Enterprise F or whatever to come through, and they're going to have to go back to the future or the past to try and fix it all again. And I, I, I think that Gerardi is the Borg Queen. When we oh, see at the beginning well, of season okay. one, yeah. that's her. It's obviously she is the queen from this weird, wacky, Q-created, non-existence universe, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, it's her. All right? And that's why the Borg are not – because because Seven says this is not your typical Borg, and it's obvious that they're not. So it's obvious to me that, that she's the Borg queen. That's, you know, I'm saying it. I said it before, and I'll say it now. That's the Borg Queen. But that doesn't answer the question as to the TN, the complete TNG cast all coming back and how that's going to fit in with Rafi and Seven and, and Elnor and, and the rest of them because they're all doing their thing. Riker's making pizzas, right? And Troy yeah. is planting tomatoes. Um, yep. Data is dead. Worf yep. is warfing. Um, well, command, you know, so, uh, according to the books, Worf should be commanding the Enterprise E. Like that should be his jam right now, yeah. if we're to believe what happened in the books. Yeah. So but that's a couple that many years ago. So how how so I guess I mean we'll have to wait and see but how yeah. are they going to mesh the, these Dude, two different crews how how does it, it together not, wrap up I, the Borg situation yeah. uh, have Q show up have all these people show up and have a cohesive uh, series with a story that makes sense that makes us all satisfies all of us it seems like there's so much on the way, plate and they're not moving at a pace fast enough to adequately wrap this all up. That's what I'm worried about. No, I'm worried about it too, Jim. And it's going to, it's going to like, there's three episodes left, right? And th- it's no, going to feel. The night and three more. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Four, four episodes So left. four we haven't reviewed. Right. So, right. so four episodes left and um, like 40% of a season like I, I feel like one of the things that Paramount Plus has been doing recently is they've they've been um, kind of like delaying the payoff. So they will give you a mystery throughout the season, and the mystery propagates through episode six and through episode seven and through episode eight even, and then they start to give you the payoff. So. Um, it, it, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride because I feel like it's hard to actually review these episodes as they go because there's a context within which we don't understand these episodes yet, and that is the seasonal context, right? Once we've seen the whole season, we'll be like, oh, episode eight's the one where they did X, or episode nine's the one where they did Y. Uh, we don't have that context right now. So I guess my question is, do you think El? So in this Q created universe, the Q verse, 
that, that we're playing yeah, in right, right now. Good, great uh, term, by the way. The Q word. <laughs> the Q word. Um, if, if they die, they Doesn't will matter. come back to life. They'll, they'll all come back to life again. I mean, dude, am, that's the whole am problem I correct? this season is that. The, right? Like am the, I correct? Because No, it's totally. This it's, is like not the the real... it's like the lost. I don't know if you ever saw that season uh, or that, that, that show called Lost, but like in the uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, season, the last season, it turns out it was all a dream. And if I swear to God, if they take the card in that direction, I'm going to like something's going to happen because like they they cannot do that to me. They cannot invest me so far into this thing to just make me think that there's no payoff at the end. Right. Where is Picard going? Why do I care about where Picard's going? What sort of like legacy is he going to have to me? they have to take this thing towards a Picard having an heir or like some sort of thing that outlives him. Right. Because unless they take it there, there is no, there's literally no value to any of the things that have happened in the first season and 60% right now of season two. Um, He just, he needs to have some sort of way to like take his legacy forward and, It just doesn't exist right now. And there's so much mystery. There's so much, like, shrouded in what's going on with Q. Why do we care about what's going on with Q? We're six episodes in. We should know more about what's going on with Q. I'm I'm becoming uninterested at this point. Well, that was the point I make, that Q is going to be in three episodes of next season. So that's telling me that we're not going to find out about Q no. In these next few episodes. Which is which is right because to me. no because if if they're gonna how has Q been in three episodes yet? I lost track. Charles, Dude, he's only I'm, had he's had like twenty eight minutes of total screen time out of all six episodes or seven episodes we've seen so far. So right, but they it's not that they much. originally they said that he was he was going to be in six episodes. He was three in season one and three in season two. I mean, season three. And has he's he only been, mentioned a couple times here. No, he has not. Has he been in six in, episodes? No. No, I mean, has he been in three? Has he completed his agreement for season uh, two? That's interesting. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I, it, I, I, we okay. We know he was well, in the first one. All right. I think he was in so the that's first one. Two. Of, that was, and then he was in, and then he, and then he was in this one where he tells. No, did he oh. show up in this one? No, uh, no, he was in the last one because that's when he was the psychologist in the past. Okay, so he's been in two but, then, right? No, he's been in three. But I think he's, he's been not in three. showing up as Q. He's showing up as the doctor, which could be different cast than Q. Oh, God. Oh, God. Well, my, my point is that um, we're, we're running out of, of John Delancey obligated screen time. <laughs> right. What, so... So, um, so, so we know we're going to see him in three episodes next season. So, I don't think it doesn't seem to me like they're going to wrap up the Q story. There's no payoff, season. man. We're we're going through this whole season, and there is so will I, not be a payoff at the end. I don't know. Well, well I, anyways, <laughs> we we went way over, and we're going down a rabbit yeah. hole. So, um, anyways, 
so let, let's 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 wrap it up. Um, so Eric, one to ten, what would you give this one? Oh, man, you guys, I have a very hard time giving this one anything higher than like a five and a half, maybe. I just really thought this episode was totally rotten. Uh, just didn't give me anything like towards the story. I've completely lost the thread of Rios and what's going on with them. Um, I just, I'm not interested in Picard anymore. I really hated this episode. <laughs> so 5.5 is probably generous. All right. How about you, David? What do you think? Well, after hearing all the arguments about who, what, when, where, why, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted now because if it is not a payoff at the end and we have to wait a whole another year just to uh, see what happens, and I don't know. But I'm a patient guy. I think I can wait that long. <laughs> However, the the idea of this episode uh, having different loops going around, I don't know. I'm probably going to have to give this one a seven. A seven? Cool. Cool. All right. How about you, Charles? I agree with Eric. This is one that's hard to really score. Storyline, about a five and a half, six. I'll bump it up to a seven with uh, Alice and Pill's song. I think that actually helped the episode a little bit. Even though it was unexpected, I think it was an interesting little distraction. But definitely, I think the story has gotten very convoluted, and I'm hoping they start tying loose ends up. And I'm 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 exactly right there with you guys. I'm I, I think right around a six, and I and I agree with you completely, Charles. The, the shadows of the night, the Agnes singing, really, really made that episode for me, as well as talking about the shuttle there from Enterprise. I kind of liked that too. And uh, finding out that um, that Agnes allowed the Borg Queen to infect her. I'm still waiting to see how that all plays out. Well, she didn't but, exactly allow those. It was more like the Borg Queen sort of tricked her into gaining more access to her consciousness. Like, that's the so way I, I read that. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm intrigued enough yeah, but but the thirty minute runtime is a major downer for me. Sorry, not acceptable. That's why I give it such a low <laughs> score. Well, guys, uh, we went over a little bit. I apologize, but Dorothy was so awesome. <laughs> she, yes, she I mean, was. Uh, I looking down her credentials, I I could have picked any one of those movies and just talked about that for like I an mean, hour. She's she's like like like. A nerd's dream. She <laughs> really. is, and she's and she's very willing to chat about it, which I just find very refreshing. Like she's got stories to tell, and she is wanting to tell them. So I can't yeah, wait to have so her again. That's why we went over a little bit uh, because she was just so fascinating, and uh, I, I I didn't want to uh, to cut her off. I was enjoying what she had to say, so I want to say thank you so much to Dorothy for coming on and talking with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much to Paul for hanging out with us at the beginning of the show. Thank you, Paul. And of course, uh, thank you so much to Ray for giving us a call, letting us know that he's okay. Thank you so much, Ray. And thank you to David for calling and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, David. 
And of course, we couldn't do the show without my Trexpert. So thank you so much for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight, Charles. Oh, definitely. Thank you for the invite with Talk with Dorothy. Man, we could we can go another couple of hours with her. We'll have her back. We will have her back for sure. Yeah. And of course, thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, Eric. You better believe it. I feel like I want to go out and get a beer with Dorothy. Like, that would be fun. She's yeah. awesome, yeah. isn't she? And yeah. uh, I, I want to let you guys know, a little, little segue, that on Monday, we started up our cadet training. And for those of you who don't remember, we used to do cadet training in season one of Discovery. And that's where uh, we pick an episode that's relevant to what's going on. And we, we reach back into the vault, we pull it out, we blow off the dust, and we talk about it and how it relates to what's going on currently in the world of Star Trek. On Monday, um, we're going to be talking about, well, Eric or, Ch- or Charles, how about Charles? Charles, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about on cadet training on Monday? Well, we're going all the way over to DS9 to pass. Past tense. Oh, I don't know. Past, Past tense. tense. Yep. Which is a two-part episode where due to a transporter issue, two of our members end up on Earth in 2024. What? Yes. We are going to talk about the Bell Wars. Bell Riots. Bell Riots. Yeah, that's right. 300 oh. years in the past, past tense, part one and part two, uh, we get to explore what's going on just right now in Picard. Uh, so it turns out there's a very strong tie into DS9. Yep, mm. absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what we're going to talk about Monday, 7.30 p.m. And of course, we'll be back on Thursday reviewing tonight's episode of Picard, which is entitled Monsters. So I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. I want to say to everybody, please be safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.